Welcome back. Rick Kogan on After Hours. And one of my favorite people on this planet is Rich Cohn. I got to meet him through his uh, amazingly prolific career. I've read every single one of his books, some of which we'll mention during this half hour. The latest is The Adventures of Herbie Cohn. Herbie Cohn is Rich Cohn's father and had a remarkable, remarkable life. Rich, this is a great thanks for coming on. And this is a great book. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Great well, you, you know I'm a big fan. <laughs> if you didn't, you've written about family before. Your your last book was about your kid and uh, his adventures in in youth hockey. Confessions of a hockey parent. Many of your you come into your own books uh, with a wonderful uh, and rewarding frequency. You're in this book too. Was this? Difficult. I know your dad is a great storyteller. I know. Was this a difficult book to write? Um, some of it was. I yeah, mean, I'll mostly. Bet. Yeah, I just sort of stories about my father all the time, and he's sort of behind and inside of every every other of my books. And even like I wrote co-wrote a book with Jerry Weintraub, the movie producer. Sure. And I only could write about him because he was he's so much like my father. And um, I feel like I hear my father's voice in my head walking around all the time. So I'm always, you know, thinking about what he would say to stuff. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's like the story behind you or the story, but when you sort of get into it and try to understand the things he did and why he did them, then you sort of start having to sit there and think about stuff maybe you don't normally think about, and that wasn't always so easy. In writing about his uh, uh, very, very colorful upbringing and uh, and activities as a youth in Brooklyn, did you get wistful? Did you wish to yourself, Jesus, I would like to live there then? Yeah, well, I think that's the whole basis of my whole writing career. Yeah. is I grew up in Glencoe, I went to New Trier, and he would tell stories. I always said it was like the Jewish... Uh, uh, Fat Albert show. So the stories about him and his friend was like an episode of Fat Albert, but it was in Brooklyn, Bentonhurst, Brooklyn, in the fifties and sixties. They were in a gang called the Warriors. They had jackets, and they were guys who were still around, like Larry King and Sandy Koufax, and yeah. all these guys had gone out in the world. And they would, and I'd meet my father's friends and Larry at night when Larry had his radio show. I'd get into bed, and he would be telling stories about my father turning him into this kind of hero. And I just think, like, my first book was Tough Jews, and it was about Jewish gangsters from that neighborhood, because those are the stories that he would tell me. So I do think that that kind of longing for something like the life that they had, which was just kids in the street, running around, playing games, getting into trouble, being completely free, was something that I really, really envied and wanted. And to some degree, it was just nostalgia, but it seemed real to me as a kid. Well, for me, one of the things that I envied was uh, the courtship of your father, Herbie, and Ellen, where you write, the summer of 1957 was a season of courtship for Herbie and Ellen. Dinners downtown, Greenwich Village after midnight, subway rides, and cheap tickets to Broadway shows, damn Yankees, West Side Stories, and movies. There is a real wonderful touching nostalgia to much of this too you feel that don't you yeah i mean i think that that kind of world as it existed then my father was a veteran of the military and he got a military discount to broadway shows and they were like he went like five dollars or two dollars something insane for a ticket and he was working and it was sort of like right after world war ii and he was in the military but he missed the war you know, well, because he, he was, was because he was coaching basketball. <laughs> That's something yeah. I didn't know about your dad. He was coaching basketball. 
during the during well, the, the service. Behind, the reason why I played hockey and why my kids played hockey is because my dad played basketball. Yeah. I, when my dad at 85 years old, he saw my son play a junior high school basketball game coached by high school kids, and he asked me afterwards, do you mind if I uh, talk to the coaches for a second? <laughs> I said, yes, I do. <laughs> That, that will end up in the local paper. Well, also, it was like, yes, yes, I do, Dad, because you used to come and talk to my teachers in high school, and even there's some riotous stuff in this book. And again, the title is The Adventures of Herbie Cohn, World's Greatest Negotiator by Rich Conan, because he was the world's greatest negotiator and never loathed to share his opinion. Some of the stuff about applying, he wanted you to go to law school, didn't he? Yeah, he's a you know big believer in. He didn't see, didn't believe that you could make any kind of living as a writer, and he used to say the only thing worse you could have chosen if you were like a ballet dancer, maybe it would have even been harder. But like after that, it was like being a writer was the dumbest thing he could think of. So he wanted me to be a, a lawyer because to him that meant you'd always have something to fall back on. And the joke is, even when I was like wanted to play in the NHL when I was a little kid, he assigned me a favorite hockey player. And that was Ken Dryden of the Montreal Canadiens because he'd gone to law school. So he always had something to fall back on. Uh, what did your dad think of this book? And, and did, he re- my dad- did he read it, Rich, Rich Cohn? Did he read it when it was finished? Or did you give him portions as you went along? Well, portions, you know, I'd written about it in different places. But basically, sure. I only gave it to him when he was, when he was finished. Mm-hmm. When it was finished. When it was like a fait accompli. And if he's bugged, if he's been bugged at me at all in any of this, that was the reason he'd be bugged at me because he didn't, he didn't love everything in the book. I would say he's happy with about 90, 95% of it. That's but it's good. Sort of like, yeah, that's good, I feel like. But it's like, he's always been, you know, it's your story, blah, blah, but there was, it's, it's sort of like, you know, when you decide to write something, you're going to write what you think the truth is and you're going to be very honest that you shouldn't do it at all. Yeah. And, it's sort of like when you're writing, you're in one place in your head, and that's a different place than thinking about what people are going to think of it. You so write about, just, you know, you, 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 there are so many things in this book. Uh, your in your your parents' in laws, uh, you've written about before in that fabulous uh, "Sweet and Low" a family well. story. Yeah. Uh, there's some real. Uh, characters i don't want to say dysfunctional because i hate that word because it doesn't mean anything to me but there's some dysfunction in in the extended family isn't there yeah my grandfather was like basically a short order cook and he invented the sugar packet Mm -hmm. and then he invented sweet and low and i had an aunt my mother's older sister who was i would say i don't know what other word you use other than dysfunctional yeah she was like she was like a hermit yeah yeah, and, and she didn't come out of her room for forty years, and and it's sort of like if you take a sort of dysfunctional, whatever, unusual situation, and you add, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to it, it's like miracle grow for craziness. Yeah, no People kidding. I'm completely nuts. No you know? so, kidding. And we didn't end up getting that money. Is that's a sweet and low, but we were basically disinherited and never had that money. But it was there out in New York, and it's sort of like this sense that we grow. I grew up in. You know, Glencoe, like I said. Sure. And it's like I was in exile from the New York family. We were the weird Midwestern cousins, basically, although my, they all came from Brooklyn. So, well, you, 
your dad yeah. though had I, when when I got to take a little break and Rich I am going to write yeah. about the book too because I write about all your books but the I want to talk about the varying writing styles of you and your dad. It seems as if your dad got an idea for a book, went down to the basement and drank 5,000 gallons of coffee and came up with a bestseller. I want to know how that differs from the way you you write. We'll be back in uh, just a couple minutes. Welcome back. The book is titled The Adventures of Herbie Cohn, World's Greatest Negotiator. The author is uh, Rich Cohn, Herbie Cohn's uh youngest son he writes in here and there's so many wonderful parts of this book rich i can't even tell you you're writing about your book lake effect uh, which is about your childhood growing up in glencoe and you write i'd given herbie the manuscript a few weeks earlier as i'd done with all my writing this gets into herbie's role as my shadow editor which goes back to grade school. Sometimes he revised my papers. Sometimes he rewrote them, which explains the frequent mentions of Bensonhurst and the Brooklyn Dodgers in my schoolwork. I can just imagine what the New Jersey teachers thought of that. He, he, uh, after uh, not his entire career, but after some career as a negotiator, he helped negotiate the, with Jimmy Carter, the Iran hostage thing, but mostly he spoke to groups, big groups, all around the world. He was compelled uh, to go to the basement. Tell me if I'm wrong or I misread. Go to the basement and just started drinking coffee and writing and came up with a monster bestseller. uh, Still selling, I imagine, Rich. You you can negotiate anything. You were a kid. What did you think of his his, uh, writing regimen? Well, he didn't really, he has, my father's like, you know, there's what he says and what he does, like, like a lot of people. He has like a teaching. And one of his things he always told me is you do things in a very methodical way. Like if you're going to take a test in school, you take a practice test exactly like the real test. And then when you get to the real test, you can't tell the difference between what you've already done and what you're doing. And it's same with a sport. You practice like you're in the game and then you play in the game like you played in practice. And he said all this stuff. And then when he decided it was time for him to write a book, he invented this completely new, insane way that he, it was almost like he was torturing himself. Exactly. He went down to our ba- Yeah, it was insane. He went down into our basement, which was an unfinished basement that flooded whenever it rained, and it rained all that summer. He was like sitting in a foot of water, basically, with yellow legal pads and calligraphy pens and tons of coffee, and he basically stopped eating. He just drank coffee and ate lettuce. And he's a lefty, so he writes with this crazy hooked hand so he doesn't smudged the letters and he wrote this entire book from start to finish in longhand for six months i forgot he was even alive like he was down in the basement every now and then a scream would come from the basement just coffee more coffee and uh, i came up with the book like and my mom had to type it up it was you know this huge pile of coffee stained pages and it was you know a battle he sent it to pretty much every publisher in yeah. the world and everyone rejected it and finally this crazy guy lyle stewart published it and he basically put a whole bunch of copies in his car and drove around America and kept pressing and pressing and pressing until it became a bestseller and then became a huge bestseller. Huge bestseller. Huge bestseller. Yeah. What do you think of the book? I, I don't remember you mentioning in this, in this fabulous, The Adventures of Herbie Cohn, what you thought of the book when you, when you first read it. Well, first of all, to me, like a book seemed like a holy thing. Like people, you know, didn't write books. Right, just the right. fact that he had a book and it was on our shelf, and that was unbelievable. Also, the book starts with me. <laughs> uh, and I went to Henry C's restaurant in Northbrook where I hated to go, 
And I stood up on the table and screamed across the restaurant, this is a crummy restaurant. And they never took me to another restaurant again, which is what I wanted, proving I was a great negotiator. So that was incredibly exciting. And, um, I, you know, it's a really funny book. And he kind of invented, it's kind of like a business book, but also a self-help book. So I always thought the individual stories were really funny, but I read it again and again as I got older. And it's kind of a very, now I think it's a very profound book. No question. When he's. Yeah, when he started going on and selling this book, people would get critical of him and say it's about haggling. Like there was something cheap about this because negotiating wasn't really part of the common vocabulary. And when you read it, his whole thing is he's probably the guy who coined the phrase win-win negotiation, yeah. which he did. And, and um, he, his whole thing is about both sides have to come out ahead and both sides have to be part of any decision you make so they have a stake in creating the solution and making sure it succeeds. And I just watch the news, like what's going on in the world, and I think that art that he sort of perfected and preached was about a better way to live, a better way to treat people, and it's like kind of what we need right now. Yeah, no kidding. The, the book is, is by turns, riotous to me and very moving. I, I, I found the sort of uh, Larry King stuff uh, sort of sad uh, near the end, near his end. Uh, but mostly it's joyful. I and mean, the stuff the stuff in Brooklyn, the stuff in the army, the stuff that you you bring yourself into the book. Uh and you also that it was fantastic and I can't wait to ask David that as you write, as his as your father's fame grew, so did the oddness and variety of the tasks he was asked to yeah. perform. The dramatist David Mamet sent Herbie a draft of Glengarry Glen Ross, his play about real estate men, uh, for a read. Does it ring true? Herbie loved the play and suggested a single change. First prize for the contest at the end should be a set of steak knives, a change that made it into the play and become, has become a staple of the Mamet canon. The steak knives, those gold goddamn steak knives. Uh, there is just, Rich, there's so much in here. I, we will talk again because I want to talk to you for a, for a story for the Tribune in the coming weeks. But it is just, uh, to my mind, it's a magnificent book. And it's very, very, I, I was struck I've always liked your writing, but I was really struck by some of the very, very honest and uh, and not at all tender observations. You love your dad. There's no question about that. And you love your family. But uh, there are a couple dark little moments in here. But I, I, your father's the kind of guy that I would aspire to be. How's that? How's that? I will, that's a, I will tell him that, and you will make his week. Tell him that is it. This uh, the pandemic and being locked up must have been must be must have been kind of hard for him. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he kept living his life and doing his thing, and you know, he sort of still travels. And his when the pandemic started, he said, "Look, your kids are going to be fine. I might die, but that's no big loss." <laughs> That's how he went into it. No, that's in the book. Uh, Rich, it's always it's always fun to talk to you, and it is absolutely a joy to read you again, ladies and gentlemen. The book is The Adventures of Herbie Cohn, and when you look up Rich Cohn, C-O-H-E-N, you will find all manner of other books. I've written about these other books, and I've enjoyed them all. And uh, for you, Bears fans, if there are any out there, Monsters, the 85 Chicago Bears and the Wild Heart of Football. And if there are any Cubs fans out there, the Cubs, Chicago Cubs story of a curse. He's written about the Rolling Stones. He's written about pirates. He's written about uh, his his 
co-authoring of When I Stop Talking, You'll Know I'm Dead with Jerry Weintraub is a, a, a magnificent, magnificent. Rich, you and the family take care, and I hope to see you soon. Uh, great to talk to you all. You too, always. Thanks.